Please have a seat. Uh, and can I again uh, welcome everybody here tonight? Uh, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, could you, can I ask you to turn with me, please, to page 885 of the Church Bibles, page 885. That's Daniel chapter 6, uh, page 885, Daniel chapter 6. And when you've got that, if you keep your finger there, can I just ask you can also put your bookmark on page 1171. Just put the bookmark in page 1171, but keep it open to page 885. We will do a cross-reference uh, later on to page 1171, so if we do it now, then uh, when we come later, we can just flick there and then flick back, okay? So bookmarks in page 1171, but the Bible will open on page 885. And one more thing. Um, in your bulletin, in the center page of the bulletin, there is an outline of the sermon. Uh, so if you have that open uh, as well, then that will help you uh, to see where we're up to uh, in, that, uh, in the sermon. Uh, and some people like to take notes to help them stay awake, uh, then uh, you're welcome to do that as well. Well, let me lead us in prayer as we begin. God, our Father, we thank you that you speak to us by your Spirit through your Word. Thank you that you've been speaking to us as your Word has been read and sung. Uh, and we pray, Heavenly Father, now that you'll continue to do that as we, as we uh, come to consider this passage together. Uh, please may your Spirit uh, strengthen and empower me to preach your Word rightly uh, and uh, in his power uh, and may he work in each one of our hearts uh, causing us to uh, love and follow Jesus uh, we pray this in Jesus name Amen if someone were to ask you where do you see God's greatness what would you say oh you may speak about creation and you certainly see God's greatness there or you may speak about great miracles that God has done and, and we see God's greatness there as well. But today we will see God's greatness, God showing His greatness by saving His servant who called to Him. And we will see how that points to the biggest display of God's greatness in His Son. Well, those of you who've been uh, uh, coming to church for the last few weeks, you know that uh, we've been doing this series on the book of Daniel. And you remember that Daniel was a Jew. He was taken from Jerusalem by the Babylonians when they conquered Jerusalem, taken into exile, and he eventually became, well, one of the leaders of Babylon. He, became, he was risen, he rose to one of the highest positions of responsibility under his Babylonian masters. But at the end of the last chapter, the army of the Medes and the Persians had defeated the Babylonians in battle. And we read that Darius the Mede received the kingdom. And so now there's a change in power. In chapter 6, the beginning of chapter 6, we see one of the things that Darius does when he takes over. He sets up a new system of administration. Uh, chapter 6 verse 1 tells us that he appointed 120 officials called satraps. And these satraps reported to three presidents. And the reason for this arrangement at the end of verse 2 
was that the king might suffer no loss. See, Darius knew that you cannot assume people are trustworthy and you need to hold them to account. And so you have the king, you have three presidents under him, and about probably about 40 satraps each under them. And Daniel, now in his 80s, is one of those presidents. But Daniel, in the words of verse 3, became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. In fact, he was doing so well that the king planned to promote him above the other presidents, to become like the the chief of the presidents and, and set him over the whole kingdom. And that's when the office politics really started setting in. The other presidents and satraps tried to find grounds for complaint against him. Surely there'll be some skeletons in his closet. Surely he's got some dirty secrets. Surely there's something he's got to hide. But verse 4 says they couldn't find anything because he was faithful. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the same could be said of each and every one of us here tonight? That our enemies could look and look and search and search, but they would not find anything they could use against us because we've always acted in ways that are exemplary. We've always been faithful, never gone against conscience, against the law of God or the law of the land. You cannot assume people are trustworthy, but we want to be people who really are. Well, Daniel's enemies were frustrated, but they're also smart. And they soon figure out that the one point where they can manipulate things so that Daniel appears to be disloyal to the king is when it comes to matters of faith. They realize in verse 5 that they would not be able to find grounds for complaint against Daniel unless they find it in connection with the laws of his God. And so they hatch an evil plan. They agree to go to the king with a proposal. Uh, They falsely claim that all the leaders have agreed, verse 6, that the king should decree that whoever makes any petition to any god or man for 30 days, except the king himself, shall be cast into the den of lions. And they urge the king, verse 8, to sign the document so it cannot be changed, because the law of the Medes and the Persians cannot be revoked. And so in verse 9, King Darius signs this into binding law. And prayer is all of a sudden an illegal act. Sometimes the enemies of God's people take a virtue and change it into a vice. And they can change the law of the land so that the good things you previously did are now forbidden. Now, people in the West are doing it at the moment. Uh, they change anti-discrimination law. So, though Christians who want to maintain a moral stand are accused of fermenting hate and then punished. And it's going to get worse. People like Bernie Sanders are already saying that if you believe Jesus is the only way to God, you are so bigoted that you are not fit for public office. People like Tim Ferron in the UK, forced to resign. Because he says you can no longer hold to a Christian position and be the leader of a mainstream political party. 
In our own country, we have an NGO leader calling for evangelicalism to be banned just a few weeks ago. He doesn't even understand what it is. And a major newspaper published his call. The world can redefine virtue as vice and then persecute you for it. It's an old trick and it's being played here against Daniel. So how does Daniel respond? Well, verse 10 says that when he knows that the document's been signed, what does he do? He goes back to his house where he has windows in the upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He gets down on his knees three times a day and he prays and gives thanks before his God as he had done previously. No change. Daniel knows that God is the real ruler of the nations. He's lived through all the events of Daniel 1 to 5. He knows that the Most High God speaks, that He saves, that He rules, that He humbles those who exalt themselves above Him. He knows that Yahweh is God, that He's on the throne. And the best and wisest thing to do when His life is in danger is to bring His petitions before this God. Now, he has his windows open. But it's not being like the Pharisees in the New Testament who prayed publicly so that people would admire them. He knows people are going to admire him. They're going to try and kill him. But it's okay because the Most High is with him. He is praying towards Jerusalem because that's where the temple had been. Uh, we're not told to do that now because, because Jesus is the true temple. Our prayers are directed through Him, not through a physical place. Daniel gets down on his knees to pray. He kneels. doesn't mean we always have to kneel praying. We've got examples of people in the Bible praying in other postures as well. But kneeling is a good posture for prayer. It's a symbol, it's a gesture of humility before God. And we would do well to consider Daniel's example without making it a requirement. He prays formally three times a day. This is the only reference, the Old Testament, to this practice. So it seems like it's more a personal habit of Daniel's rather than a set formula. But again, it's good to develop personal habits of prayer each day and make sure it's part of our daily rhythm. How we do that, of course, is a personal thing. It will vary from person to person and time to time. And at the end of verse 10, it says, he prayed and gave thanks. And that is something that we're all called to do, isn't it? We are all told that when we have troubles, we should pray. And like Daniel, we should do so with thanksgiving. Keep your finger in Daniel 6 and come to your bookmark in Philippians 4. Philippians 4 verse 6, let me read that to you. It says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So, my friend, is there something worrying you? Well, pray. Tell God about it. Ask Him for your request. And it says, do so with thanksgiving. 
Thank him for all he's done for you. You can always find things to thank God for, and especially for the grace that he has shown you in his son. And it says when you do that, whether or not you understand why God is doing what he's doing, whether or not you understand, it says that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, that is, it is better than understanding, will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It will guard you from falling away from Him. Always turn your worries into prayers. Daniel prayed even when it was forbidden. Sometimes we fail to pray even when it's not forbidden. Well, back to Daniel 6. And Daniel's enemies had been waiting. They knew the times when he would pray, and, and one day at the predicted time, they get together, and in verse 11, they catch him making petition and plea before his God. He's trapped. And so they approach the king. And they come to him in verse 12, and they, they pretend to be confused. They go, oh, uh, king, did you not sign an injunction? that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man within 30 days except you or king shall be cast in the den of lions. And of course he did. They know that. The king affirms, yes, that's, that's what I did. This thing stands faster. Law of the Medes and the Persians cannot be revoked. Ah, then they bring up Daniel. They describe him in verse 13, not as the king's trusted president, but one of the exiles of Judah. And they say, that he pays no attention to you, O king. You see them trying to drive a wedge between king and Daniel? They're trying to make out that Daniel's piety is, is insulting the king. They're being very unfair. And then they also say he doesn't pay attention to your injunction that you have signed, but makes his petitions three times a day, and the king is trapped. Not only is Daniel trapped, you see the king is now trapped as well. Daniel has broken the law. And they've got the king in a position where he's obliged to take action against Daniel. But the king knows that Daniel's a good man. He knows that he's a faithful and an able administrator. He, he realizes this is a political move. He knows he's been played. But what can he do? Well, in verse 14, the king is distressed. He sets his mind to deliver Daniel. He labors until the sun goes down to rescue him. He's trying to, trying to find a loophole, trying to find a way to, to reverse the decision or to, to make it not apply to Daniel. But he, he really wants to save him. But, but these people, they've, they've got all their bases covered. They come by agreement to the king in verse 15 and say, No, O king, it's the law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. And the king knows he's got no choice. They've got him. Interesting, isn't it? King Darius is the only one that people in the whole empire can pray to in this period. But he can't save his friend, even from his own law. And so in verse 16, he issues the command, 
Daniel's brought to him to be cast into the den of lions. Now the word translated den there is actually the word for pit. One and a half thousand years before this, Joseph had been put into a pit by his brothers, but God had rescued him, made him the ruler of Egypt. David had, had called upon God to redeem his life from the pit, and those Psalms pointed forward to Jesus. There would be prayers for God to, to raise him from the grave. But now Daniel is to be thrown into the pit, the pit of lions. He would suffer this capital punishment. He would go down to what would almost certainly be his grave to be torn from limb to limb, to be mauled and eaten, he would go down to the pit and never see the light of day again. But as he goes, the king speaks to him, and he says something quite remarkable to him in verse 16. Look at what he says. May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. What an interesting thing to say. I know you don't just serve me, you serve God. And I hope that God overturns my decision to punish you and rescues you instead. I could not save you, but I hope that He can. I hope that He is stronger than me. Well, Daniel's cast into the pit. A stone is brought in verse 17 and laid on the mouth of the pit. And the king reluctantly seals it with his signet and the signet of his lords so that no one is allowed to tamper with it. And then the king goes home. And in the story, we leave Daniel of the den and we go home with the king. And there in the palace, the king is, is so upset that he will not eat. He can't do anything. Verse 18 says, no diversions were brought to him, whether they be work or food or people. He can't sleep either. So he's up all night, restless, distraught. But then at the break of day, the earliest sign of dawn, the king gets up and hurries back to that den of lions. And even as he approaches, he cries out in anguish. Look at what he cries in verse 20. Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? This is the, this is the climax of the narrative. Here's the question that this whole story is about answering. This king, the most powerful person in that world, knows that he cannot save Daniel. But has the God whom Daniel served been able to rescue him from the lions? Now, in any normal scenario, you'd expect a deathly silence in answer to that question. Or at the very most, uh, a low growl of satisfied beast. But listen to the voice the king hears. Verse 21. Oh, king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O oh, king, I have done no harm. 
Imagine the king's joy when he hears these words. God has done what the king failed to do. God has saved Daniel, his servant. Daniel's alive. And so the king, verse 23, is exceedingly glad. He commands that Daniel be taken up out of the den. And when Daniel's taken up out of the den, it says, no harm was found on him. Not a scratch. Because at the end of verse 23, he had trusted in his God. But that's not the end of the story. Because now the king turns to bring justice to those who had manipulated him and tried to kill Daniel. And he decides to do with them what they wanted to do to Daniel. And so he commands that those who had maliciously accused Daniel, together with their wives and children, were to be cast into the den of lions. And if they hoped that the reason for Daniel's salvation was because the lions weren't terribly hungry or they were just pussycats, well, he says that before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Judgment came upon those who had opposed Daniel. And in the aftermath of all this, King Darius sends a message across the empire. He writes in verse 25 to peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. And he tells them in verse 26, to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. God had done what Darius could not do. He had saved Daniel from Darius's law. God is the one who is truly on the throne. He showed his greatness by saving his servant who called to him. And so Darius goes on. He is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. You see, Darius learned the same lessons now that Nebuchadnezzar had learned earlier on in this book. God rules his kingdoms forever. God saves. He even does miracles to save his people. God is greater than the greatest king because he is able to save his servants who call on him. And isn't it just like God to show his greatness by his salvation? Well, Daniel's not only saved, but he's also exalted. After he's rescued, he's restored to his place in the kingdom. And we read in verse 28 that just as Daniel, God made Daniel prosper in the Babylonian empire, Daniel prospers during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian as well. Daniel is exalted and prospers in this new empire too. Now, God's saving of his servant Daniel was actually just a picture, a shadow, of a much greater salvation of a much greater servant. Remember, like Daniel, Jesus was a victim of the jealousy of evil men. 
Like Daniel, Jesus was treated unfairly. Like Daniel, Jesus was innocent, blameless before God and man. Like Daniel, Jesus trusted God and cried out to Him in prayer. For He knew God is able to rescue His servants who call on Him. Pontius Pilate, like King Darius, knew that the prisoner was innocent. But he had him executed anyway. Jesus, like Daniel, was given capital punishment. Like Daniel, he was sent to the pit, the grave. Daniel was sent to die. Jesus really died. Like Daniel, the stone at the mouth mouth of the tomb was sealed with the seal of government. The punishment had been meted out. There would be no expectation of return. But God is able to save His servants who call upon Him. And He shows His greatness by doing just that. And so just like Daniel was brought up from the pit, Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Like Daniel, his resurrection was discovered at the crack of dawn. And like the rescue, Daniel was restored and prospered. The risen Jesus is exalted to the right hand of God and rules the nations of the world. God shows his greatness by saving his servants who call on him. God rescued Daniel. And ultimately, God rescued His Son. And friends, this great God who is able to save His servants who call on Him is able to save us as well. The biggest danger that we face is not in being eaten by lions. We were facing that far greater danger of hell itself. As was the case with Daniel, there was a law that condemned us. But unlike that case of Daniel, it was God's law, and it was perfectly just. Our sin against God was so bad that we would never be able to finish paying for it. And so our punishment would have been an eternity of of alienation and wrath. And that would have been right. Darius tried to rescue Daniel from his own law, but failed. But that is what God did for us. He loved us so much that He sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the world. Jesus lived that perfect life under the law. And then He died for us on the cross, in our place, taking the the punishment that the law demanded for our sins on our behalf. So that if we call out to Him as our Lord, if we are united with Him by faith, then we can be sure that it is our sins that He bore, our wrongs that He paid for, our punishment that has been meted out completely, and we can be free from the penalty of sin that is demanded by the law. God is so great that He is able to save His servants who call out to Him even from his own law. If you are someone here today who has not yet been saved, can I urge you to cry out to God through Jesus? He is the one, the only one, who is ultimately worth serving. For he is the one who can save his servants who call to him. 
He has shown his greatness at the cross and resurrection of the Lord Jesus by which you can be saved. And for those of us who have already trusted Christ for our ultimate salvation, there are other lessons as well we can draw from this passage. When things go wrong, when you fall into trouble, who do you, who do you run to, first of all? We often put our hope in, in people with power, don't we? But don't forget who the real king is over all the world. Now, God may use all kinds of means, all kinds of people to help us, or He might have plans that are different from what we're hoping and praying for. And of course, it's good to elicit help from others where help is needed, but our first point of call should always be to God. We should bring our problems to Him. Ask Him for wisdom about how to deal with them. Who else to involve after that? Remember Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. So let's come to Him and trust in Him in all the trials that we face. And let me remind you that when Paul wrote that verse in Philippians, he was in prison. And he did not know if it was going to end with him being executed or released. It turned out that on that occasion, he was released. But on another occasion, he was executed. God can save his servants who call to him. But he doesn't always do it in this life. We know he will do it in the end. That is for certain. And so like Daniel and like Jesus, we can trust God and do what is right. If evangelicalism is banned one day, then so be it. We will trust God and do what is right. If Christian prayer is banned, so be it. We will trust God and do what is right. If we are wrongly accused and, and treated unfairly at work because we belong to Jesus, so be it. We will trust God and do what is right. We will look forward to the day when our Lord returns because that is the day when He brings forth justice. In 2 Thessalonians 1, we read that God will bring justice to those who persecute His people. And to face that justice is far worse than when those who maliciously accused Daniel were thrown into the den of lions themselves. Listen to what it says in 2 Thessalonians 1.9. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of His might. Friends, that is why Jesus urges us to love our enemies, to pray for them, pray for their repentance. We don't want them to go there. Judgment and salvation always go together. They're two sides of the same coin. The day will come where God will bring judgment 
and salvation to his people. The promise is not that he's going to do it now, but that he will do it in the end. And at that magnificent end, God will show his greatness by saving his servants who call upon him from death itself. So like Daniel and like Jesus, we will come out from the pit, up from the grave, unharmed, unscathed. We will be raised. And like Daniel was exalted and prospered over the empire, like Jesus was raised and to, to God's right hand in glory, those who belong to Jesus will not only be raised, but be glorified with him. And we will be able to love him and join him and serve him together, permanently safe from sin and all its consequences, with God as our God and we as his people. God shows his greatness by saving his servants who call to him forever. How great indeed is our God who saves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you show your greatness in saving your servants who call to you. We thank you for saving Daniel and showing that you're so much greater than King Darius. We thank you for saving Jesus and showing you're so much greater than all the forces of evil. And we thank you for your promise to save us on that last day and to glorify us with your Son. As we wait for that day, please help us to trust in you and your greatness. Help us to honor you, to do what is right, and wait for the vindication at the end. Thank you for the privilege it is that, that we can call upon you in prayer in these matters. And not only in these big things, but in everything. So please help us to do that day by day, in the small things and in the big, as we look to you as our ultimate Savior and King. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.